Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Bucketless Gamers. My name is Eddie and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Jay. Hello. And today we are doing a double whammy, so a double feature. Um, as we've previously discussed in other episodes, some of these games we will struggle to get an hour's content out of. And these two happen to be the first pairing that we thought, yeah, do you know what? They complement each other quite well. So we are doing Tetris and Pac-Man. Yeah. As you can tell, Jay is thrilled by the prospects. We have done a bit of background reading on these, but mostly because we think we'd struggle to get an hour's worth of content out of gameplay alone. So should we start with Pac-Man, seeing as it is sort of one of the first games, sort of mainstream games, to be released ever? It's the lower number of the two, so it makes sense. So Pac-Man's 47 in the list, which, going back to college, when we were at college together, I... Me and a couple of others had a real issue with the number 47, which I won't get into now. But it makes sense that Pac-Man will be coming in at 47 because it's it's one that I've never had the affinity for that a lot of people do. And it's not that I didn't grow up with games like this. I was very much probably not of the era of Pac-Man because it was 1980. Yeah, 1980. But the games I grew up on on Commodore 64 weren't much more advanced than a yellow puck roaming around eating pellets. But I just never got it. I never enjoyed playing it particularly. I'd play it for a few minutes and I'd be like, yeah, that's it. Not particularly interested. And and that was how it always went for me with Pac-Man. It's, it's just dull. I'm sorry if there's people out there that love Pac-Man and could play it for hours, which I know there are because the guy in Retro Gamer magazine goes on and on about how he's played it for six-hour stints. But it's just boring it's the same thing over and over and over again. And I know a lot of games probably fall into that category, but it's not fun repetition. It's stressful repetition, trying to avoid the ghosts and, oh, shall I use my power pellet now or shall I try and save it for later? And, oh, the cherries have popped up, which don't actually do anything, but I'd best go and get them because that's the expectation of the game. I just, I hate it. I prefer the crap Pac-Man games where they're like platformers and that one where you have to shoot him with a slingshot to make him do stuff. I would a million times rather play them than play original Pac-Man. And this is probably going to get me some massive hate, but I just don't get it. I don't get it all. It, it probably is going to get you quite a, quite a lot of ire off people, particularly the man who uh, did the uh, section in uh, Retro Gamer magazine. But yeah, it, it's... It's very shallow, the gameplay. It is the same gameplay, just increasing in speed and complexity as you up the levels on it. And apparently there's 256 in total, 256 very, very samey levels. And apparently there was a glitch built into the original that crashed it on the 256th level, which is just hilarious. So that <laughs> there was an issue with the coding. So you got to level one, 256 and the game crashed. That's 254 levels more than it needed, in my <laughs> opinion. But yeah, you can forgive it for its shallow gameplay because it was 1980, and what did we have before this? In comparison to Pong and, like, was it the the Ultravox Odyssey where you put, like, screens over your TV and it was just blips and blobs that matched a little bit of plastic over the screen? Yeah, it was... I'll give it that. It was revolutionary then, but I don't think it's a fun game to play now. And I didn't think it was a fun game to play in like 1990 or whenever I first played it. 
And I understand why people have that affection for it. And by all means, if you love Pac-Man, more power to you. If you can sit and play that for hours, that's brilliant. There's probably games out there that I've played for hours and hours that everyone hates. Uh, Gregory Horror Show that we were discussing, I've played that game more than I can care to imagine. And I don't think anyone else has ever played it, never mind liked it. But I could just play that game forever because it just clicked with me. And that's probably with a lot of other people. But personally, I just can't. I feel like I've been overly harsh to Pac-Man now. But from personal perspective, I just can't get on board with it for more than a couple of minutes before I just get bored. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, there's there's not really a lot to discuss in terms of gameplay. You are literally... And apparently the, the, the design of Pac-Man was based on a pizza with a slice missing out of it. Because obviously he's eating and so it was quite... The, the guy that invented Pac-Man was very food-related, food-oriented in terms of the whole theming of the game. Because apparently the title Pac-Man is based on the Japanese phrase Paku Paku Taberu, which is to gobble stuff up, which is literally all that Pac-Man does. He just gobbles stuff up. And <laughs> he basically designed Pac-Man because, as as is pretty much the case now gaming back in the 80s was very male dominated it was very aimed at young men young kids uh, male kids um and he wanted to design something that would appeal to women so he invented something that was cheery it wasn't seedy it was cheerful it was non-violent aside from the fact that you eat things and then chase and eat ghosts and he believed that it would attract women and therefore couples into arcades so you could spend money. And that's basically where Pac-Man was sort of born, really, for the arcade era. Stood there spending quarter after quarter or pound after pound, if you're in the UK, trying to get on to the next level. And yeah, so that, that that's basically what Pac-Man was aimed for. And it didn't work because then they had to do Miss Pac-Man, which is the same yeah. bloody game with a pink bow on it. It's not different in any... I might be wrong, I don't think I am. It's not different in any way apart from there's a pink bow on it. And they re-released that. They they made arcade premises pay more money for exactly... I mean, it's, it's like the forerunner of Skyrim, just getting people to pay more <laughs> money for exactly the same thing over and over again with a fresh coat of paint, which is brilliant. I'll give them that. But no, I could play it. And I reckon if it was in the 80s, yeah, I'd have thought it was amazing that it had taken such an advanced leap. But to look at it objectively now, I just don't have any sort of affection for it. It wasn't one that I grew up playing a lot. I like the characters. I think they're iconic. But the game, I could take or leave, more often leave, as as is probably evidenced. So I've got some Pac-Man facts, because I thought we'd struggle. So I I researched some Pac-Man facts. So here you go. Whether you find these interesting or not, I don't know. Um, so the guy who designed it had no training as as a designer or programmer. I think that is evident. <laughs> but I suppose that makes it even more a uh, feat of of his yeah. like ability. Uh, as you said, it was designed as a response to shooting games like Space Invaders, so taking that more non-violent route, apart from, like you said, eating the ghosts, but I suppose they're already dead, so you can get around that. Pac-Man's pizza inspiration is only half true. Shall I elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By all, by all means, I always thought he was based on a pizza. So in Japanese, the character for mouth is a square shape. It's not circular like the pizza, but I decided to round it out and thus Pac-Man was born. So it's based on the Japanese character for the word mouth. Okay, that's clever. I like that. 
So it's half pizza related. Pac-Man's gameplay and ghosts were inspired by comic book characters, so inspired by manga and animation that the designer used to watch as a child. Okay, I can see that. It was one of the first games to introduce cutscenes. When he chases those ghosts across the screen at the beginning, somebody out there is classing that as a cutscene. Brave. Which I think is a stretch. (laughs) But there you go, there's five not-so-fascinating facts about Pac-Man. Yeah, that's their cut. That is a cutscene. Like licking the back of your teeth is considered a square meal. <laughs> but yeah, we were just reading through the the bit in Retro Gamer is an interview with a guy who obviously loves Pac Man, like the the polar opposite to me. And at one point in it, he says that the perfect game of Pac Man can sometimes take in excess of six hours. If I had to play Pac Man for six hours, well, I don't know. I don't even want to elaborate on what I'd do, but I don't think it'd be pretty. There's a lot of things I'd rather do for six hours than play Pac-Man. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, it's, it's obviously got its fan base out there. And and like I say, I, I like the games that it spawned. So the one, uh, I can't remember, is it Pac-Man 2, is it called? Where it's, or Pac-Man Adventures, I think, where you don't directly control Pac-Man. You, he does what he wants, essentially, and you have to hit him with a slingshot or hit objects, and then he'll go and interact with them. And everyone pretty much hates that game because it's it's quite difficult because he does literally ignore you a lot of the time. And when there's bits where you have to get him to do something very specific at a certain time to beat an enemy or a boss, it is frustrating. But the graphics on it are great. And I just love that concept of you're not actually in control. There's this like almost like a virtual pet that will just completely ignore you and do what he wants if he wants to. And you have to bring him in line and make him do what you want him to do with hardly any control over the situation. And I always loved that. But yeah, I've later found I thought it was a good game, but I've later found out it, people don't like it very much. And I've watched other videos of people slating it. But that one for me, if you've never played it, check it out. I think it's called Pac- uh, Pac-Man Adventures or something like that. Probably not great, but it looks good. And it, it plays fairly interestingly in comparison to like lots of other games. Yeah, I can't actually believe how many spin-offs and sequels and spiritual sequels and spiritual successes Pac-Man has got. Because um, if you actually look down the list of how many times this game has been re-released or rebranded under another name, it's, it is it is literally astonishing how many times they've packaged it in with other stuff um, just to sell Pac-Man once again to the people that obviously can't get enough. Um <laughs> But yeah, it is, I, mean, yeah, I suppose it's testament to how beloved Pac-Man is. I think he's even in Smash Brothers, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. He's not particularly good, but he's in there. I say he's not particularly good. He's he's better than a lot of characters. And if you, if you can master how he plays, he plays quite unorthodox. So a bit like Ness in the first one. Oh, yeah. Where where he wasn't just the standard throw-out, short-range, long-range attacks. You, you had a bit more nuance with the sort of Psy attack to save yourself from falling off the edge and stuff. I think from what I remember, Pac-Man plays in, in like a similarly unorthodox way in that you can chase pellets into enemies and, and that kind of thing. When I insult Pac-Man, as I did earlier on, it's not the character or the franchise. It is literally the original bare-bones Pac-Man game that I really don't like. I don't mind the sequels. There's even some of the more modern versions of Pac-Man where they've added a little bit more to it that I don't mind. It is literally just that base Pac-Man game. I just can't get that much enjoyment out of it. 
it stresses me out. I think that's what it is. It really stresses me out for such a simplistic game. I get really stressed out playing it and it just I don't enjoy it. And I think that's the reason that I'm so hostile towards that original game. I've probably had a bad experience playing it in my youth that I can't that I've blocked out and that's what's caused all this unnecessary anger. But I do as I say, I love the character and the not just the Pac-Man character, but the ghosts and everything that, that make up that world. I I don't mind. It's just that first game. I just can't get into it. And I wish I could, because I know it's a classic and I should love it, but I just genuinely don't. Uh, I think I think the same can be said for me, really. Um, it, it was something that I had, I, I tried to play when, when I was younger, and it wasn't the greatest introduction to video gaming for me, because it, it, I just didn't gel with it at all. Uh, I think to the point where it doesn't really explain what you have to do at all there's Mm. there's no explanatory dialogue it just expects you to go and know what you're supposed to do and the fact that you're supposed to avoid the ghosts rather than trying to chomp them and yeah i think because of that i i tried and didn't like it and again the anxiety it gives you when you get pinned into a corner by two ghosts um and you and you and you die and you lose a life but I didn't know that they coded the ghosts differently either, which is something... I mean, I've played it a fair bit, and I've never noticed that they coded the ghosts separately to perform yeah, different of, actions. Some of them, like, one of them's shy, so it'll avoid you a bit more and stuff like that, I think, isn't there? There's, and one of them's a bit more gung-ho, and it'll chase you a lot longer and that kind of thing. Yeah, so you, you get Inky, Pinky, Blinky, and Clyde are the, the the little ghosts that follow you around. And apparently Blinky was was made to chase Pac-Man, so he is the one that will pursue you all the way around the board. Pinky always tries to get in front of you so that Blinky can catch up and, and pen you in sort of thing. Inky uh, apparently avoids you. Like mm. He'll be up in the top corner of the map while you're in the bottom right corner. And Clyde is the one that alternates, so he will occasionally chase you and he will occasionally run away from you which you don't notice when you're playing it because they all just get no. in your way. <laughs> so you, you may not be even noticing the pathfinding mechanics in it because you are trying to so avoid focused, them. And in, yeah. in trying to avoid them, you get into their way anyway. So, yeah. That is clever. That's something that I did, I wasn't aware of until very recently, that they play differently. And it is clever for the, again, 1980. You look at what came before that and it was a huge step forward. I think for me the problem is that I'd played better games than this by the time I played this. So I'd got I started off with a Commodore 64. And as I said, even though some of the games on that didn't look fantastic, they had a lot more nuance than Pac-Man did. So they were side scrolling beat 'em ups or there was one that I used to have called Venom, which was like a text adventure, which as a five, six year old, boring as hell. I reckon now I'd love it, but back then it was just like Having to type in, like, go north and then read a screen full of text and then be like, pick up item wasn't great. But even that was, like, a lot more sort of nuanced than, than what Pac-Man is. And then I had games like, so, like, the Dizzy games. So Magic Land Dizzy was, was one of the first games I ever got. Oh, and I played that game so long. And this is an era where you had to wait for half an hour for a game to load before you could even play it. And sometimes it wouldn't, and you'd just have to start again. I played Magic Land Dizzy to death and I'd never got further than a couple of screens because it was rock solid but that game was fantastic and then to go from that to playing Pac-Man that was I think the problem for me if I'd have played this before then then yeah I'd have probably really enjoyed this but for me I'd, I'd already played that 
I played a game called CJ in the USA, which is about an elephant, like a platformer where he jumps around. Uh, New Zealand Story, which is a fantastic platformer. So I'd played all those kind of games. So to go back to Pac-Man just wasn't an option for me by that point. Yeah. And it's why I struggle with a lot of retro games now that I didn't play. If I played them back when I was a kid, I, I love them and I could sit and play them for hours again. But if I didn't and I try and play them now, I just struggle to get into them because it's come so far from that point. I really have to force myself to go, right, this is as if I'm in 1980 and I have to play this as if this is the best thing since sliced bread at the time, which it was. So I think that's why I struggle with Pac-Man because I'd already played stuff that was superior in my opinion. So to go back to it was just difficult, but I can appreciate it for what it is even though I don't enjoy playing it myself. But that makes the rating hard, because are we rating it on how important it was in gaming, or are we rating it on how much enjoyment we get out of it? And I think so far we've gone for the enjoyment route, which I think is probably the right one to go with. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. So for me, I can't give it more than a five, and I'm pushing it to give it a five. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, sort of, I, I can see how influential it was, because yeah. it was like the it was the Kickstarter for the the boom of the arc the gaming arcade. It was the thing that started the whole journey off. And I mean, you look at how far it's come since nineteen eighties. The the arcade. I mean, it has died a bit of a death. Um, you don't see many nowadays. These really, unless you're at like a seaside resort sort of thing, you don't tend to get them a lot in the UK. Um, I, I know you do in America. Yeah, I was going to say in America you get a lot of the places like Dave and Buster's where you can just pay an entry fee, play as much as you want, which are becoming a bit more prevalent over here, but only with retro stuff in it. So I know there's a few places around us now where you can pay like a tenner and you can go in for two hours, but they've not got new cabinets. They've got all the old like Turtles, Simpsons, all the classics um, and all and like all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think in America you get places like that that have current cabinets, like all the all the latest games. Whereas over here, like you say, we have to go to the coast usually, and even then they've not got a lot of the newest stuff in there. So like it's it's not died a death as much as become less prevalent as the as those types of places struggle in general. I think especially with COVID and everything, coastal locations struggled anyway, and, and the arcades have had to to absorb a big hit of that. And I think a lot of the arcades you go in now, it's play this game to win tickets so that you can trade in like 50 quids worth of tickets for a drumstick lolly or something like that, which is, seems to be the, the general way it goes. So I think they've moved into that pure profit rather than arcade games that somebody might put a quid in and be playing for 20 minutes and no one else can get on it if they're decent at it. Whereas... Those are the ones you put 50 pence in, your game's finished in two seconds and you've got a handful of tickets. Yes, they've, they've done essentially what everyone does these days. They've uh, taken a, uh, a concept of uh, the arcade where, you, like you say, you put 50, you used to put like 50p or a pound in to play it for 20 minutes to half an hour and they have maximised the profit policy on it. <laughs> So they now just deliberately rip you off as opposed to just saying, oh, well, if we do this arcade cabinet, someone might get half an hour's enjoyment out of it and we'll only charge them 50p or a pound. Whereas now it's you will literally get five minutes worth of enjoyment out of it and you will pay two pounds to do it. I think enjoyment's pushing it on some of them as well. Like 
we yeah. went with a friend to the arcade and there was a big like a huge wheel and you pulled a handle and it spun and it was a pound to play it and it's like you could win 500 tickets invariably they won five which isn't enough to get anything and you've got you've had literally 30 seconds of not enjoyment watching it spin around to land on five and win like, like next to nothing and that seems to be the route that arcades are going now and i really don't like it like even on the the 2p machines a lot of them now you don't get your 2p's back you just get tickets so like before whereas you might put a pound in and get 40p out or something and keep playing now it is literally you put a pound's worth of 2p's into that machine and you're getting nothing out of it apart from some more tickets and then you have to go and get another pound if you want to carry on there's no sort of cycle like there used to be but we've definitely drifted away from from where we started on that one <laughs> It's one of those things that at the time I think it did really well and it deserved to do really well because it was revolutionary. But for us to rate it now as a game to play in 2023, I think five, even five is being generous in terms of how much enjoyment I could get out of playing it now. Yeah. And that's what it's about. But I don't want to go in at like a three and then have people coming to lynch me (laughs) because I've given one of the most important games in history a three. So I think if we go five, I think that's fair and, and pop it at the bottom of the list. But with a footnote that we appreciate how important it is for gaming and where it has gone on to, to flourish in terms of a franchise. Yeah, I agree. Um, and seeing as we appear to have drifted <laughs> rather deliberately <laughs> off topic, it's probably time that we move on anyway. So uh, we will now move on to our next game, which um, like your... Um, origins of Pokemon for you. Um, my enjoyment of Tetris was basically built on a sham because my first experience of Tetris, uh, one of my first consoles outside of the NES, was a Sega Mega Drive. And one of the first games I got in it was a triple pack. So you got a like a motorbike game, something else, and something called Columns, which was essentially Tetris without the branding. No, no, no. I'm going to interject here. Columns is a far better game than Tetris. I had Columns on my Game Gear, and Columns is much better than Tetris. And we'll we'll get into why it's much better than Tetris. But yeah, Columns, it's from the same family of games, I'll give you that. But it is far more relaxing and enjoyable than Tetris ever will be. Tetris, for me, is, if, if I was harsh on Pac-Man, just wait for Tetris. <laughs> Because Tetris literally has nothing going for it, in my opinion. It's ugly to look at. It's stressful. Again, it's incredibly stressful. One wrong move and you screwed your whole game up and you have to start from scratch, pretty much. If you put one Tetramino in the wrong place, you're back to, you, you've you left a big gap and then you can't... Oh, I just... No, I don't like Tetris at all. I never have. I'd argue it has, well, it did have a big impact on on gaming because it was like the first, it was a big handheld one, wasn't it, for the Game Gear, uh, the Game Boy, sorry. So it, it was it was that game that everyone who had a Game Boy owned, whether they wanted to own it or not. And as such, back in the day, if you owned a game, whether you enjoyed it or not, you had to play it to get your money's worth out of it. Yeah, um, and, and that's sort of why we picked Tetris to pair up, really, because Pac-Man was the progenitor of the arcade era and tetris went for the polar opposite of it was sort of the kickstarter for a lot of handheld games so it, it i think it was the release game for 
the Game Boy, which would make sense. It was a packing, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. And and how how, aside from the shape difference, how you got the different colours out of a Game Boy because they are supposed to be different colours, so the Tetraminos are supposed to be like a pale blue, a dark blue, an orange, a yellow, a green, a purple, and a red. How you get those colour distinctions on a Game Boy, which was just grayscale, I mean, God only knows. And obviously, so that probably added to the tension. <laughs> and the, the music, esca- the, the music's quite iconic, but the fact that it escalated and sped up just added to the tension and made things worse to the point where I think I ended up playing with the Game Boy sound off a lot of the time on Tetris, just so I didn't have to get the added anxiety from it. It was one that I didn't, I didn't have a Game Boy until late on. I think we discussed in the the Pokemon one. I got one literally for Pokemon Blue. So I never had Tetris for that, but I've had it on other systems where it's come as part of a, usually as an arcade pack, or I've had like a mobiles where it's been pre-built into it, like a, a knockoff version of Tetris. So I had a thing called a TV Boy, I don't know if you remember those, which was like a huge gamepad that had like 500 games built into it, and they were all rip-offs of Atari games or, well, mostly Atari, I think. And I'm sure there was a Tetris clone on that. And I've just never clicked with it. It's never been a game that I've clicked with. And like you said, it's meant to be different colours on a Game Boy screen that could do green and darker green. So they had to put like dots in some blocks and stuff. And I I don't, again, I don't get why they did that. They could have all been the same colour. It doesn't make any difference to the gameplay to to have them different colours. So why they did that. But there's a couple of stats in in the, the Retro Gamer book. So there was 170 million copies of Tetris sold since it launched. The last time they did a cumulative sales total, that might be out of date by now, although I can't imagine there's many copies of it being sold these days. 35 million of those were on Game Boy. But, like we said, if it's a pack-in, that just means that a lot of Game Boys were sold. It doesn't lend itself to the popularity of the game. There obviously was people out there who didn't get it packed in and went and bought it, but a lot of those 35 million, I think you have to seriously question whether they were buying the Game Boy or they were buying it for Tetris. And I think a lot of the time it was people buying a Game Boy and getting Tetris thrown in whether they wanted it or not. And they've tried to jazz it up over the years, haven't they? They've done like the competitive Tetris, I think was the last one they did. So similar to that Mario one where you're all playing against each other, the Mario 35 one. They did a Tetris one where it's loads of people playing Tetris and you gradually get eliminated and the better you do it sends Tetraminos to other people's screens, a bit like Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine or whatever it was called. So there's there's that element of it where they've tried to jazz it up a bit, but I've just never got into it. And to your point about Columns, I think the, the positives that Columns has in comparison are, one, Columns' music is fantastic. It's relaxing. It's, it's really laid back and sort of... I, I had it for Game Gear. Oh, I can't remember what year I would have got it. 1990, maybe? I can't remember what year Game Gear came out, but my parents went the Game Gear instead of the Game Boy route, which was probably a mistake in retrospect, but I've got a lot of fondness for the Game Gear, and it came packed in with Columns. It was a packing game on that with Sonic. My mum played it more than I did, because that was the only game she could get on with on on the Game Gear, because when she used to play Sonic, she used to tip the whole thing to try and make him go faster. So that was just an example of of what it was like when, when she was on it, but... She used to play Collins and she was really good at it. She picked it up. So the music is burned into my head 
because I heard it so much while she was playing it and when I used to play it a couple of times. So that's one thing. But also, Columns is a match three rather than a filler line. Yeah. And I much prefer match three games where you can flip the order of what you drop in to try and match three up and get chains and all that kind of thing. And Columns did diagonals as well, which a lot of games didn't do in terms of match threes. So you could almost be about to die and then you could clear it down to practically one line if you got one sort of lucky or tactful dropped so yeah columns for me is by far a superior game it looks a lot nicer because it was on a color screen it plays nicer for me because you you know you're always getting a cluster of three and you can plan ahead even sort of two or three moves ahead you can sort of guess that you're gonna get a blue coming out in the next couple of moves whereas tetris you don't know what shape you're going to get in two moves time. You only get informed of the next one, don't you? So all stuff like that for me is why I much prefer Columns. And I think it was generally a better game and a bit of an overlooked one. But I don't know if you agree with that. I, I do, yeah. Because, um, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair to say that because of Tetris, other gaming companies started making things like Columns to sort of yeah, compete yeah. with it or just sort of do like a knockoff spin-off thing, which in in and of itself has sort of bred these Candy Crush-like games, which are hugely popular still to this day, despite the fact that they're based on a 30-year-old concept that hasn't really evolved much, aside from the colours and the shapes have changed a little bit, and you get, like, yeah, 110, 20 pixels rather than just the standard 32-bit ones. So it, it is quite a testament to that's the lineage that Tetris sort of started with um, and, and has sort of given succession to the rise of these really simplistic but yet still horrendously addictive games. So props to Tetris. Similar to Pac-Man, I can appreciate what it stands for and the impact it's had on gaming. Because like you say, you still see all these mobile games coming out now that are variations on Tetris. There's not been many where it's the exact same thing and they've just reskinned it, I've noticed. I don't know if that's because they think that Match 3 and Swap 3, like Bejeweled and Candy Crush, are more alluring to players these days or whether they're scared to death they're going to get hit with some sort of copyright for ripping off Tetris. But it's another one that's of its time, isn't it? If I'd have played it when it came out, I'd have probably thought it was brilliant. But I played it a few years after that and I just, I'd already played Columns, which I thought was more fun. And I suppose that in itself, I'd played a lot of other games that I thought were more fun and, and like with Pac-Man. That sort of tarnished it in my eyes a bit, and I just think, oh, this is dull. I can't get any enjoyment out of it. Whereas if I'd have been in what year did it come out? Nineteen eighty-four. If I'd have been playing it in nineteen eighty-four, yeah, I'd have probably had a very different view on it. But for me, it's just not a fun game to play. Again, it comes down to the stress of it. I think I like a nice, relaxing game, and Tetris and Pac-Man aren't it for me. So essentially, what we've managed to do is we 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 built this uh, pairing based off of well, oh, it's great. So the like the the, the origins of gaming for that era, um, and it's arcade versus handheld. And now we've managed to give them the unification of they stressed us out to hell, and they were both crap. <laughs> we yeah. both didn't like them very much. I think we've got to really point out that you can look at them in two different ways and that is you can look at them as the piece of gaming history that they are and they deserve full credit and they probably deserve on that scale tens 
I don't think anyone could argue that Pac-Man and Tetris are two of the most influential games up there with sort of Super Mario Brothers for pulling back after the the gaming crash for where we are now if if Tetris and Pac-Man hadn't come out we wouldn't have the video game environment we have today so in terms of that I think yeah tens every day tens the world could live without as much as I hate to say it Majora's Mask and not that much would have changed without a Pac-Man and a Tetris we wouldn't have gaming as we know it today so 100% tens on that front but in terms of me sitting down with an hour to spare and playing a game, I would never pick Pac-Man or Tetris. I, I don't think ever. I don't think there's any situation where I would willingly pick either of those two to play. There is always going to be a game that I'd rather play than them, no matter what system I've got in front of me, no matter how much time or where I am. I'm always going to pick a different them. So for me, I can't score them high because I wouldn't ever pick them. Yeah, I I agree with you to that extent. If you if you take them in a bubble of from when they were and how influential they were on games to this day, then yeah, perfect score. However, it, if if you're going to be devil's advocate about it, ET for the Atari twenty six hundred would probably at the time be considered incredibly influential for how gaming has developed to this day because it was the thing that caused the gaming crash in the first place so it was that and that is categorically one of the worst games out of outside of superman 64 one of the worst games because you can't say that it's not influential when it has single-handedly managed to destroy the entire gaming market (laughs) but you wouldn't play it so no, exactly. while, while you can say Tetris and Pac-Man, yes, they are incredibly influential and they are the foundations on which most of modern day gaming is built. Would I go back and play it today? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think that sums it up perfectly. So just to point out that Tetris in the 100 is number four, because I don't think I mentioned that, which I'd, I'd argue with any day of the week, as influential as it has been, I wouldn't ever put it that high in the list. When you look at the stuff that's below it, Super Mario 64 is five. How can you put Super Mario 64 below Tetris? It, it's a difficult one. I know they've, they've done it because of its impact, but I'd argue that Mario 64 had just as much impact. And I mean, I suppose the list is the top top 100 to play before you die. Yeah. And if, if you were going to make someone do you know, like sit down, never having played a video game before in their life and say, right, these are the hundred games you need to play. You'd have to do them in order. So you'd have to start them with Pac-Man and Tetris. Yeah. Ideally, probably you'd have to start them with E.T. and just say, you didn't enjoy that, did you? Right. So let's show you how gaming's done. And then you'd move on to stuff like Pac-Man and Tetris and stuff like that. But that that's not what the list is. It's the top hundred to play before you die. And I could probably, as a quite a seasoned gamer happily have died never having played Tetris. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it, it's it's something to be aware of, but not something necessarily that you have to play before you die. It's not one of the... The connotation of 100 games to play before you die, for me, is, is the, almost a suggestion that these are the best 100 games ever. And purely from a gaming standpoint, Tetris isn't. No. Influentially, yes. But from a gameplay and enjoyment side of it, no. So for me, that I think it's just. Re- but it's voted on by the public. This list, or or at least by retro gamers readers, 
So they voted it number four. So who are we to argue with that? I suppose they enough people voted it to get it up to number four. So we can't really argue. But yeah, I just don't agree with it being ahead of so many other things, such as Mario sixty four. That a couple of the Zelda games are, are right behind it. So yeah, I think it probably deserves to be in the hundred, but not that high. Just on, and even that's an argument to be had. But yeah, to put it at number four, I think is just, it won't be getting a number four in our list, let's put it that way. Um, I, I think it's going to get a four in terms of a score, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm going to put it below Pac-Man, to be fair, for my score oh, on it, because... I was, was going to go three. I did not care for it. I, I did not care for it. I, I mean, happy to go down to a three, absolutely, because I did not care for it as much as I do Pac-Man. Um, let's meet in the middle, let's go three and a half, 3.5. No, we'll go with three and a half, yeah. And I yeah, and again, just have to point out in terms of influential, ten, but in terms of us enjoying it, three point five, and I think that's fair to say. And if you disagree with that, sorry, is is all I can say. Don't don't hunt me down, don't don't come and find me and tell me how good Tetris is because you won't convince me on this one. You're going to end up in a in in a clockwork orange. <laughs> with Tetris and Pac-Man where they just literally hold your eyes open and make you play Tetris and Pac-Man as punishment. So, yes. Oh, please, but, God, uh, no. With that being said, shall we shall we move on to something that is more modern gaming? Um, yeah, let's, let's actually... give the people what they want because we've, we've dangled this carrot last week. Atomic Heart, I've had a chance to play about two hours of it, which I know is not much over the course of of two weeks but i've been been a bit busy but i will say this for a start it is slow at the beginning it takes some getting into would be my first observations i mean i i fell asleep playing it the first time and it was it was like 1 a.m and i had a pretty busy day but i fell asleep and when i woke up i was like I, i must have been controlling it while i was asleep because i'd moved from where i was when i remember falling asleep but I don't remember anything that happened. So I had to replay the first bit to pick up the story the second time I played it. And it's got a lot of intro, shall we say, compared like we discussed Mass Effect last week, chucking you right into the action. This does exactly the opposite of that for about 20 minutes at the start of the game. Yeah, I'd, I mean, as, as searing an indictment as that is for how good um, <laughs> it sort of gives away your opinion on the game from the from the get go, really, that you fell asleep <laughs> while playing it, but yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's it is very Bioshock um, mm. in terms of world building. It, it's very a little bit quirky, a little bit nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, and but yeah, there is a lot of build up to it at, where not a lot happens, but a lot happens at the same time. So for you trying to progress through the game, not a lot happens, but going on around you there are so many conversations activities happening that you're not involved in because you are essentially sat in this boat just being slowly guided along these rails slowly moving through while things are talking at you and you've no idea what's going on it's the majora's mass thing of being in a dream not recognizing what the hell's going on but you know, you you're like, oh, that that's a bit Bioshocky over there. That's a bit Fallouty over there, and it's all just a bit of a mess it's for me. Anyway, al- it's just it's that alternate future 
that alternate timeline future thing, isn't it? Where you're in the past, but everything's more futuristic. And there's even a point in the first sort of half an hour of the game where the main character says as much. He's like, oh, yeah, that's all very science fiction-y and, or something like that when when the, it teaches you a new mechanic. And it's like they know, and it's almost a bit tongue-in-cheek that they know that they've set it in this world and they're going to have a laugh with it. And I like that. I appreciate that. But get into the bit where you actually start controlling the character with a weapon and it all starts kicking off. I think he's about 20 minutes into the game. And there's a bit in that first build-up where you have to literally walk to a building Stand in a lift which takes forever to go up with nothing happening. There's no one talking to you. There's nothing to look at. You're just in a lift. And it must be a good minute of standing in this lift. And it's not like a a clever load segue or anything. It's just literally you stood in this lift. You come out of the lift and have a one-line conversation with a robot who gives you a key. And then you have to get back in the lift and spend another minute going back down to then come out and go and and that's when it all starts to kick off and it starts getting interesting. And I just don't get why they've done that. Like they could have just had somebody at the bottom of the lift give you that key and take out that whole segment. There's nothing gained from it. And it's that weird decision that makes me wonder what I'm going to encounter further into the game. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a I'm around that point with you. So I'm 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 at about that point in the game, and. I mean, we're probably going to come out as come across as really ignorant because we've literally played about an hour to two hours of the game, and it may turn out that the entire game is this intentional tweaking of the nose of video game standards and making a mockery of everything that's come before. But but it does it in a way that you're not sure that that's what the game's doing. Yeah. And if you if you're going to do it, set your table out to begin with and let me know that that's what you're doing don't say oh isn't it funny when video games do this really boring thing and then proceed to do the really boring thing that video game it's like zombie games taking the mick out of there being a sewer level and then proceeding to unironically have a sewer level if you know (laughs) it's bad don't do it i get that you're trying to take the mick but don't say, oh, isn't this really crap when video games do it and then proceed to go and do it anyway. It, it, it just baffles me that as a decision choice, really. To look at, I'm probably about another hour ahead of where you are by the sounds of it, so I've got a bit more into it. And there are good things in it. I'll, the, the enemy design was one of the things I was a bit worried about because all the clips I'd seen, they looked very samey. To an extent they are. The robots are all... There's, there's the sort of white paint-coloured ones. There's the black paint-coloured ones that are a bit stronger. Well, a lot stronger. Um, there's hints where I'm up to of other enemies that aren't robots, like plants and that kind of thing that might come after you, which I'm looking forward to finding out more about. There's drones and stuff that will fly about and, and hit you with fire and that kind of thing. So there is quite a range of enemies that are quite interesting. Some of them, there's one bit in it where one of them attacks you and its face opens up like something off Five Nights at Freddy's. That was genuinely a shock when that happened. And and it was a bit terrifying. And I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. But a lot of the enemies are really difficult to beat, especially in the early game when you've just got an axe and a shotgun. 
and they, they're very quick and you've got a dodge mechanic, but it's sometimes when you're charging up a weapon hit and trying to dodge at the same time, it, it gets a bit intense. So I'm thinking maybe it's, it's got a really strong upgrade mechanic as well once you get to, to the first. There's a robot that is a very sort of raunchy, that has a very raunchy personality, but it is an upgrade machine. And again, it's all sort of tongue-in-cheek type of thing. And it's very similar to the one in Bioshock where you get your abilities through those injections, but it, it's more personality-based. And you can upgrade a lot. There is a lot of upgrade trees in there for your sort of bio thing that you have in your hand that can shoot electric and, and fire and frost and all that kind of thing. But then all of your weapons have like four or five different upgrade mechanics. So the axe, you can add a grip handle so that you get more powerful swings. You can upgrade the type of swing. So rather than it just being a downward chop, you do like a spin and take out everybody that's around you. You can galvanize the edge of the axe so it does more damage to the robots, all that kind of thing. Some weapons are better against, uh, or abilities are better against biological enemies rather than robots. So it's got all that aspect. And I think there is a game, a good game in there. And some of the, but some of the writing I don't like. The, the main character, for example, seems to be that very stereotypical, sarcastic, gruff hero. And I just don't like it. It's just, it, he's not very relatable. And a lot of the stuff that he says is just mean for the sake of being mean. And I don't know if that'll change the more into the game you get, but that's the impression I've got at the point that I'm at. And there's just little bits in it like that that, that are sort of putting me off playing more. Like the, the difficulty spikes in certain parts of it. You don't get a lot of health refills. Um, I'm playing on the sort of middle of the road level of, of game. So not the super easy storyline practically storyline only mode but not the hardcore mode and uh, i've died a couple of times just from getting ganged up on by multiple enemies uh there's also a bit of stealth in there which again it's not a mechanic i love in games but there's like essentially security cameras that will spot you and you have to take them out with an emp blast or distract them to get past them and that kind of thing which is all right every so often but when they cropping up all over the place it's something i don't look out for and then when i get caught in one just floods of enemies come at you and you have to battle them all off and you tend to lose loads of health so there's bits like that i'm i'm still really on the fence with it and it's also to the point i'm at anyway very linear like 100 percent linear there's no variation in i can't go off and do a different mission i'm but i think that's probably because i'm on the first mission and I assume once I finish the first mission, it's going to open up into an open world. But like I say, I'm two hours in and I'm still working my way through the first mission. So it's a big thing to get past in the initial stage of the game, I think. Uh, from from what I've played up until now, it, it strikes me, aside from the very obvious Bioshock homages and um, Fallout uh, nods and stuff like that, it's very Bulletstorm. And it's Bulletstorm crossed with Borderlands. So you've got the very stoic main character who, like you say, is gruff, sarcastic, mean, unnecessarily, and surly, obnoxious, to the point of being unlikable. But in with that, you've got every other character around you that just vomits dialogue at you constantly. And it's the, they, they, it's the sort of like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer idea of I'm just going to keep talking until I say something funny, <laughs> and and that to me con doesn't contrast very well with 
your main character who just will look at a sign and make a sarky comment. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't gel very well, for me anyway. I think that's our philosophy, isn't it? Just keep talking until we say something funny. I don't think it's yeah, pretty yet, much. But you know, you never know. We might get one eventually. So yeah, I'm going to keep playing it. I'll give it more of a more of an attempt than I have done so far, and see if it does open up into that more sort of like side quest and main mission thing that I was expecting from it. But it, yeah, it's I don't like the writing. I think the writing is is for me. And normally that doesn't put me off so much if the gameplay's good. But it's almost like they've tried too hard with it. There's a there's a character you meet in the early point of it, this this old granny who looks I thought it was the Queen. I thought they were sort of mocking the Queen when I first saw her because she looks exactly like the Queen. She's got this English accent. But she's like incredibly foul mouthed, and that's the joke. That it's an old woman who swears a lot. And I just it's like cheap. Do you know what I mean? It's like a cheap laugh. Oh, there's an old woman and she should be really lovely, but actually she's horrible and she swears all the time. And she's got a rocket launcher. Why has an old lady got a rocket launcher? And that that's the joke. And it it's that kind of thing that I'm like, oh, she just put a bit more effort in, please. Yeah, it's it's trying to do what Monty Python did 40 years ago, but adding quirky in there as well. Hmm. Um, And it used to stick in video games. That sort of humour used to work back when we hadn't seen it for the last two decades in video games. Because you go back to the first Borderlands, and that's all that game is. Yeah. Incessant talking, and normal, and like the the robot just comes out clap with things trap. that you wouldn't expect. Mm. Claptrap. You wouldn't expect a robot to come out with stu- the stuff that it does. So again, quirky and subversion of expectation. But like I say, we've seen that for 20 years now do something different with it yeah it's just it, it is it, it when when it was on the screen i was like this is meant to be funny isn't it and it sort of was a little bit but not enough to make me think this this is going to be a brilliant game if this if this continues on this vein i'm going to love it and then when you sort of meet that raunchy upgrade machine and it's coming out with like very sort of sexual lines, but it's a machine. It doesn't even have a face. It's not like one of the ones where it's like a humanoid machine. It looks like a vending machine, but it just comes out with all this stuff. And when it first got introduced, I thought, oh, it's sort of a one-off. No, every time you go and use it, you get more of that lines just spewed, like you say, spewed out at you. And it was one where I was clicking through it because I was like, I don't want to listen to all this dialogue. I just want to upgrade my weapon and get on with like smashing these robots in. It's not the great game I thought it was going to be, unless something changes drastically when I get to the end of this. And some some things in it I do like, like I've already commented on some of the stuff I like. Another thing I like is that it's got like the limb dissection mechanics, but like it is quite satisfying to knock a robot's head off with a, a well-placed axe swing. So it does have stuff going for it that I think is better than than stuff like Bioshock and Fallout in that they've put that level of detail into the the fighting but for me at the minute it's just not hitting that mark and i'm gonna soldier on with it but if it wasn't on game pass and i paid money for it i wouldn't be happy i think it's probably the best way to sum it up 
Yeah, I, I would say that free is for me anyway. Free is the the best price for it at the minute, because um, Bioshock's slow to start with, and we, we we will discuss Bioshock later in this series. But Bioshock is slow to start with, and it is a slow boil starter, but it builds the intrigue. I think with Bioshock, it's it's so atmospheric in that first when you first get to Rapture and you're walking through it, and it's a ghost town and you find a baby's pram and you hear a baby crying and you look in it and there's nothing there and and then like you get attacked by one of those splices and it it's slow but it's brilliant in the way it builds you in it draws you into wanting to know more this is slow and there's that much going on it just throws at you at once when you're coming down that opening scene it's like it's almost like when in films they do the big exposition spill as somebody like oh and remember when so and so happened which you would never actually say in real life to someone it's purely for the benefit of the audience that opening bit where you're going down the river and everyone's talking incessantly is purely for you to get in as much stuff as you possibly can whereas Bioshock tells you nothing and you have to piece it together organically and I think that's the big difference yeah it, it... For um, Atomic Heart, it's world done, world building done badly because they think that world building is here's all this expositionary dialogue here, here, take it, take it, take it. Whereas, like you say, Bioshock builds it organically. It's almost like they read the Cliff Notes version of or the wiki on what Bioshock's plot was, and they went, "Oh God, yeah, I see what you mean. That initial bit is a bit of a slow burner. If we do that." But here's an interesting thing. If we just throw a load of dialogue at people from random jerks in the audience sort of thing and just, just let them spew stuff at them, we don't have to do the clever world-building thing. We can just vomit stuff at them, and the audience will take it in that way. And then they've just gone, that's it, should we go to lunch? Uh, <laughs> and that's what they've it done is... for Atomic Heart. There's the one bit that stuck with me, especially in the opening bit. So you're coming down this like on rails river thing and all you can do is sort of half look left and half look right and that's it. And there's a woman, a a bloke at the side of the road with three robots that are meant to be unloading materials for him or carrying materials to a building site for him or something. And they're fighting with each other. And he's like, oh, this is strange. The robots have never acted like this before. And then this woman who's inexplicably walking a pig on a lead says to him, like, oh, just reset them. And he resets them, and then they start working again. And they're both like, that was strange. And it's like, that's the worst bit of foreshadowing I have ever seen in a film or a game or anything. It's so obvious what they're doing. They've not even tried to make it subtle. It's just, it strikes me as lazy. And maybe that'll change, and it'll get much better as I get into the game. But that's what I'm getting from it at the minute, that it's it's lazy and it's it's trying to capitalise on something that was big like seven, eight, nine years ago and not doing it as well. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And maybe we'll find out that I am wrong. But that at first impressions, that's what I'm getting from it. Yeah. Um I mean I mean it could be, like I say, it could be just them trying to tweak the nose of video games and make a mockery of everything that's come before. But if you if you're gonna do it don't mock, try and mock things that have done what you're trying to do, but better. Yeah. It, 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 it's ridiculous. Don't, you, you... don't go and actually do them after, like you said earlier on, don't do them after you've already mocked it and said, this is stupid, now do this. 
exact thing yeah. that I've just said is stupid. So yeah, it's it's not lived up to the hype that I saw surrounding it so far. But maybe in a couple of episodes' time, I'll come back and say, oh, actually, give it a go, because it does get really good. Is that enough of a cliffhanger? Yeah, yeah, I think on, on that note, on that cliffhangery note, now that we've done damning it, not even damning it with fine praise, really, we've just damned it, basically. We've, we've um, been so really the... angry this episode, haven't we? It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not been a fun one for people, this one. It's just been me being annoyed about everything and, and slating things. Well, uh, sorry for the audience that are uh, invested in listening for more, but it's probably not going to get much better with some of the ones in this list. Um, But on that, I think we should probably call it there. We haven't actually decided what we are doing for the next episode, um, but we are determined not to make the, the Big Bang ones all at once so that you trail off and never listen to the last half of the list. Um, But on that note, I think I will say uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.